We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm up your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Good morning, CMOS girlies. It is Sunday and I'm here with Kate, my fellow podcast co-host, if you don't already know that. We're talking about nutrition labels today. Everyone's, you know, best friend. And Kate, it feels like I was with you a good like 12 hours ago that's because I was um there has been a vibe shift Kate and I have <laughs> been going out here and there because our lives have been a bit dull and we have been experiencing FOMO even though we don't have any other friends but you know we want to be part of the the exciting nightlife of New York and that's what we did this past weekend so Kate you should give a little recap also how are you Doing well. Um, meme makers deserve, you know, all meme makers' lives matters. That's what we'll say. Emma and I have, yeah, we've linked and build. I saw her yesterday evening. If you saw her story, the fact that we were, Emma brought calm to a function, which is just a core memory for me that I will have forever in my head. Um, Emma and I have a lot of weird like food moments that, you know, that's like the history of our friendship, the kind of how we've started. And so I love whenever we add a new one to the mix, definitely you bringing calm to the most elite New York establishment and just pouring it out on the table was phenomenal. Evening. I feel like that is the only acceptable establishment where I could, could have done it, yeah. do such a thing because you know what? Like I wasn't planning on going out. I had already had my first cup of magnesium. I had my gem daily bite. And I like was feeling gross and ugly and Kate's like, come on by. And I was like, you know what? Let's do this thing. And I was like, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring calm because I know this will make things just so much better for like everyone. And so Kate and I were, you know, a little, we had a little bartender moment. I got a seltzer with lime or lemon because I didn't want alcohol at that point. And I mixed in my calm and wow, incredible. I'm going to yeah. keep on maybe doing that as my nighttime beverage. I'll give the full weekend routine. Sorry, we filled out, didn't give you guys any context of what just happened. You only got the calm discourse, which is like the last part of the story. Um, so today is Sunday on Friday evening. What the fuck did we even do? Wait, sorry. Friday, 
Oh, so Emma's brother was in town. Um, yeah. Were hanging out and I wanted to meet her brother. And I got like invited to something in Bushwick. And if you know Emma and I, we do not leave our two mile radius in Manhattan quite often just because we don't really have a reason to and getting on the subway and just commuting for a social event, like out of, you know, I would commute for perhaps some like specialty sauerkraut, but not really for social anxiety. However, we did it. Um, The event started at like six. We got there at eight. Whoops. I don't even know, 8.30. Um, We get on the subway. We see a lot of interesting subway behavior as we would walk through the depths of Bushwick. I've never, I've, you know, I don't actually think I've ever I have been to Bushwick, but not recently. Go to Mur- I have not gotten off the Myrtle Wyckoff station in years. And let me tell you, clown behavior left and right. Yeah, it's a meme. Like if people, I just feel like we have so many younger listeners and I don't know if they know like our cues and like what we are dropping off or not. Like when we say random stuff. So yeah, it's just, it's like your hipster depopification, Y2K girlies. That's kind of the vibe. E-girl, you know, that aesthetic. We get to mood ring. It's like some event. And Emma and I just immediately plop ourselves in the corner with her brother and just like, don't talk to anyone. Um, 10 PM was supposedly some dancing started, which we did not partake in. And we left at like 10 20. Um, we were going to go back into Manhattan. It was Emma's brother's last day. And I was like, this is kind of sad. Like we're his like older sisters. I'm like his uh, long lost sister. And we're having just a really boring night. Let's just go into Manhattan. At that point, Emma and I were like, I don't really want to drink, but I want to eat. And you have to think of like what establishments are going to have food. So there's a cafe in Soho called Finelli's. And it's once again, kind of a meme. Um, a lot of like edgy Amelandore wearing skater bro- boys just like lurk around there. And I'm like, does anyone here have a place of employment? Um, I'm in question every time I walk by it. But yeah, it's just like a sceny place where people hang out. It's very like relaxed. Like they will serve you if you're sitting on like a traffic cone. Um, so I was like, this is perfect. And it serves like chicken tenders, fries. So on Friday night, we were like, let's go there. One of my friends who lives like right next to the area, I was like, oh, we're coming by to Finelli's. And he's like, oh, come upstairs. Like my former boss was up there, Glossier La Morgan. So we get into like a, I don't even know, like a three hour conversation till 1 a.m. Just shooting shit about like wellness products, like direct to consumer brands we hate, founders of companies we hate. We get a lot of like tea about yeah different companies and like (laughs) yeah Emma's brother's just sitting there kind of like hostage like I don't really know a lot of he was just absorbing all of the conversation I was like this is perfect for you Clifford like this is like the type of like New York tea that you will never get from any how long on podcast episode yeah you're just getting all the insight into like the worst like founders of America like what's happening at Glossier like what's happening at all these like wellness companies um so it was fun to be shooting the shit then Emma and Clifford left. I stayed with my friend Ash there and we started talking to someone because he knows a lot of people. And I was like, oh, who's this? You know, I recognize the man, this like man who's eating at Finelli's. We went downstairs to street view. And I was like, who the fuck's this guy? Like, does he run like New Balance or something? It's Emily Ratajkowski's husband, <laughs> notoriously like her ugly husband. Like he's attractive looking, but like in comparison to her, like he's like the hot GF ugly BF discourse. That's definitely their couple. So he was down there. And then I go to this place called Acme with like two 35 year old men that I'm like friends with. One of them's like on psychedelics. And I'm just like, what's going on? Then I go home. My next day, I just go to SoulCycle and then I go on a date. And then Emma and I, I was wandering through Washington Square Park, saw all of that chicanery. And then I was walking through Soho and I was near Finelli's, run into Ash again, the same guy. So I sit at Finelli's and this is when I text Emma like, yo, come by. And this is when she brings the magnesium. Um, so it was truly a weekend of us just socializing. Like yesterday we were talking about like 
I don't even know, like sex stuff. Like what, what were we talking about at the table? Oh, someone else came through her as like a podcast about like sex and she's like 20. I'm not going to like put her on blast or anything, but so yeah, we were just like chatting with like her and then this like 50 year old man. I was like, this is a very odd dynamic. And like, I'm kind of questioning the ethics between like everything, (laughs) but I was like, you know what, Kate and I are like little shells. I feel like we like are sometimes just like our little, you know, like Midwestern, I don't know, very like. I bow down to God, like Catholic behavior, not literally, but you get what I mean. Like Kate and I are not like explicit or like do any like erotic stuff. And so it was kind of, we were both like, what is this conversation? But it was so foreign for us that I think it was like good to expose ourselves in such a way. Yeah. Be around the people that are talking about the drug behavior, the sex, the questionable sex ethics that were going on. I was just like, wow, I, I'm a vanilla girl. I don't do any of this shit. Like um so that was interesting and then Emma and I both walked home at like 10 it rained I fell asleep decently well today I woke up I just felt like bricks because I haven't really slept the whole weekend that well but I slept in until eight which is very late for me that was like that's the latest I've slept in in a while um I went to Trader Joe's which by the way I was like kind of like looking at like nutrition labels which you know connects to this week to today's episode because I was like, I just like want fun things in my refrigerator. I'm just like tired of only having like radishes and mustard. I'm like, Emma, what the fuck are you doing with your life? But I found so many products. I got this like herb tahini dip, which is like phenomenal. Had it on my eggs this morning. But so many products don't have like canola oil at Trader Joe's. A lot of the things that I expected would have a seed oil had actually olive oil instead. So I was pleasantly surprised. So shout out TJ for kind of being a seed oil free heaven. Um, I'm sure there are people who do shop at Trader Joe's more often than I already knew that, but I do recommend this like herb tahini dip that I got there was, was fire. And I will be repurchasing. Yeah. I have not been to Trader Joe's in a few weeks, mostly because the Union Square one is hell, but maybe I'll go and do the same thing and venture out into some new territory. Who knows? Um, we don't really have any flavors of the week. I mean, you know, there's, there's the same, this, we're shooting the same shit over here. However, um, my big, my big point here is, um, dating apps are chuggy redacted. Uh, I fell, I've fallen and I can't get up. I redownloaded dating apps and girlies. When I was in LA, I got a notification at like 8am. It was very odd. And it was like, you have now been officially accepted to Raya, which if you don't know, is some dating app for like Diplo and like people of that, like liking it's like B-list. Imagine Kate going on a date with Diplo, LOL. It's like B-list He's celebrity. the only man who would be tall enough for you. Is he tall? I don't know. I I feel like he could be, I feel like Diplo's a tall man. That gives like tall male vibes. Watch me fact check this and him be like five feet tall. Shoot or shoot. I don't know. Anyways, besides the point. So I accepted onto Raya. I immediately downloaded it while I was in LA. So that was weeks ago. I look, and it's $20 a month, a month. Like, I guess that would pay off. You know, you go to a bar and a guy buys you a drink, like that would be $20 worth, whatever. But just like that price point just really irked me. So when I was in LA, I just did not download it. I was like, this is stupid. I'm celibate. I dating apps are chuggy, you know, the whole thing. I get back to New York and I'm just like, there's no opportunity for me to, me to meet everyone. We've already kind of had this discourse. And so I was like, what's the, what's the loss of me downloading? That doesn't mean I have to go on a date. That doesn't mean I have to like spiral out of fucking control. Like I normally do with dating apps. And yeah, so I like downloaded Hinge and it's like crickets, you know, I went on one date yesterday, um, but Raya, I was like, you know what, (laughs) my Apple ID, I think it's connected to my parents' credit card. (laughs) So um, that would be my parents' um, 
little sum of money towards my dating life. And they, if they want a future, you know, son-in-law, they can pay the, for the way because I was not interested in paying $20 for it. So sorry to my parents. I don't think they listen to the podcast, but I did spend $20 on your credit card to buy Raya. And let me tell you how much of a fucking disturbing app it is. So it's just like any other dating app where you swipe and match with people. However, a lot of the features that are really fucking weird is it gives you a slideshow of everyone that you're seeing. And some of the things that it shows about them is their name, their age, where they live, what industry they work in. So it's like creative, um, finance, something like that. You tap on their profile and a slideshow starts. Like it, it starts automatically playing with a song. Can you imagine the songs that some straight white dudes are playing? It is the worst EDM house music mix up as I'm seeing three photos of them like drinking a beer on a surfboard. It's just, I'll give it credit because, you know, the dudes that are on the app, like there's this whole like sketchy elitist approval process. Like, I don't know how I got approved, but you know, the guys have all the artsy like film photos and they're like well-dressed in their photos, definitely versus like guys that just have like disgusting fish photos on Tinder and Hinge. But it's just so cringe. Like, I, I haven't really liked anyone. I have no matches on the app. And also, you can't put a mile radius preference. So, like, I was swiping through and yesterday, and, like, everyone in my Raya was not in New York. So you can't, you can't filter that because they want it to be, like, some sort of, oh, networking app. Like, when you're in Miami, you can go, like, meet the guy that you've been talking to, like, as if I live this, like, bounce around lifestyle. Um but yeah, I am on Raya. So if you, if you see me there, I'll let you know if I see any celebrities. Apparently Diplo is on there and one of my friends saw Diplo. So that's fun. And then tomorrow I get to do my blood work. That's the only exciting update I have. So as you guys heard, my B12 levels are off the chart. They're at 2000. The average one is like 70. So really insane over here. And I got my doctor to read me through it. And she was like, yeah, I don't really know why you're doing that. So I was taking athletic greens and ritual multivitamin at the same time. And so I'm guessing that was the issue. So now I'm just only taking athletic greens, which people have DM me about because they feel like I advertise a lot of products and people are like, what do you actually take? And I'm like, "Eh, I'm working it out. And then I got diagnosed with insulin resistance, which may be a false flag because I did eat right before my blood work and I was supposed to take a fasted blood work. And as soon as you eat your insulin spikes, So um, TBD on that, if I have insulin resistance, however, tomorrow I have to do this test where I get one blood vial drawn fasted. Then I drink a 12 ounce bottle of pure sugar, pure glucose. Then I get four more vials and I have to sit here over three hour period tomorrow morning at a random hospital. So that's going to really mess with my brain. The fact that I'm just drinking sugar water and sitting in a random location for four hours, like drawing blood. So please say a prayer out to me, but hopefully we'll have some results that I can, uh, you know, actually go through after that. All, all in the name of science, all in the name of being a wellness god. You yeah. know, this will be give some prime content for the CMOS release for next week's episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have any other additional updates on my end. I did solid core with my brother. It was like fun. It was like kind of challenging, but also not really, but my core is sore. But because like if people don't know about solid core, it's like, you know, Pilates, reformer Pilates, essentially, there's like a lot of like resistance and you do a lot of like gliding, sliding stuff. And so I've been mimicking that in my apartment. Pro tip, if you want to do some sort of like sliding, like ab movements, use like an old t-shirt, put it on the ground. I have wood floor. So it's like perfect. And just kind of like do planks and like move your legs in and out. And it's the same thing. Um, I've also been back on seltzer, no more Zevia for me. I've been doing this concoction where I take 
LaCroix. I add in lion's mane, the tincture from rainbow mushrooms. And then Zizio Botanicals has this like hydrating powder that I've had for like years. I'm like, I'm a, you need to use this up as like hibiscus, cactus, like marshmallow, root, prickly pear, et cetera. And I've been adding like lemon or lime and wow, bon appetit. She's delicious. But yeah, I'm not on the apps. I'm just like vibing and being random and living my life. Maybe I will at some point, but as you should, I've been also on the seltzer train. I got a soda stream and I'm going to solid core later. Um, I hate to admit that solid core was pretty, you know, it was difficult for me considering that I never do that type of shit. And I wanted to believe that it's just going to be stupid for me because cardio is my main thing I do in running, but you know, I never exercise those type of muscles and it was just very awkward for me. Also, since I'm tall, um, like it, I, my body was just awkward to like move my limbs that way. The instructor was like very worried about me. She's like, oh, you need to like raise the bars. I'm like, is this good for you? And I'm like, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure men are normally like tall. Right. But maybe. yeah, I mean, my brother is about your height, if not taller. And yeah, they had like raised all the bars and shit for him, but yeah, he really enjoyed it too. And he doesn't really like work those like really like fine muscles either. So I think it was kind of, he had sort of like shocked his system. And I feel like What's nice about Pilates and what I do like about it, that there is so much like emphasis on like form and technique. So it's, yeah. you actually feel those like small muscles that you're actually working. Cause I've noticed for me, at least when I just do like regular weightlifting, I feel like actually my posture or whatever form is just shit. So yeah. I don't ever feel stuff. Um, and so if you're someone who maybe is like, I try weightlifting, but like, I don't feel anything like what the fuck, maybe try Pilates. It's definitely like more low impact, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think we're in new an episode on kind of like yeah. the difference between the two like how different bodies maybe react to it. Um, so TBD on that, but I do recommend doing reformers Pilates, doing that at home. Pilates is pretty cool, even though it seems like extremely overrated. Yeah. Emma and I are probably going to do a live episode one of these days because we want to go to Pilates studios in Greenpoint and then visit Happy Zoe Vegan Bakery and then maybe go to like a Polish meat market. Um, so we'll get a little, that could be a possible, like, I'm not going to say hot girl summer. We'll have some other fucking title pending, of course, but Looking, look forward to that in the, once it starts getting even warmer. Sexy Seamoss summer. Uh, TBD on that. <laughs> we'll do like silly, silly SpongeBob. I don't know, something like that. But today's episode, as Emma said, is about nutrition labels. So we're going to talk about calories, the history of nutrition labels. I think this is something Emma and I always think about uh, when it comes to our own purchasing behaviors. Calories, there's just so much discourse. And I feel like I've gone on the internet and you can find 75,000 different results of what to do as to be healthy when in relation to calories. And so we're going to try to get to the bottom of that in this episode and just give you our thoughts on it because I think it is really fucking annoying. And <laughs> we've made memes about how like annoying calories are and like society, if like all the girls that knew the amount of calories in a banana, like ran the world, like we, it's just like demented how many of us have like fallen into the same holes. So we're going to talk about that today. So I'll give you a call back in a bit and we'll get into the shot. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Our next partner is a product that Emma and I take every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to find a greens powder that actually blended together. The taste is hands down the best greens powder I've been able to find. It even has a mild tropical taste and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, you name it. 
For me, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I've always known that taking a greens powder is a great addition to one's wellness routine, but I could just never get past the unpleasant taste. This completely changed once I started taking Athletic Greens. It tastes so good that I actually look forward to drinking it every morning, something I never knew was possible. Plus, Athletic Greens contains dairy-free probiotics, and let me tell you, my digestion has never been better. Another thing that Emma and I love is that it's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, today's episode is about the history of calories, nutrition labels, everything we hate. So how did calories come to become so devilish? We'll get into it now. So the word calorie, as you can imagine, is a very scientific, you know, chemistry type thing. Emma and I are not doctors. We are not in a lab with chemistry, biology, any of that shit. We are meme makers here. So let's give you the overview. So there's this chemist, his name is Wilbur Olin Atwater. Don't really need to remember him, but he brought the calorie over from Germany to the United States. Um, He obtained a PhD from Yale in 1869. So all this shit is like very old, not very old, I guess, because some stuff goes back to BC times, but older than, you know, the 1900s. Um, He focused his study while at Yale a lot on the energy requirements of the human body. And I think this is something I feel like I learned in like seventh grade science that like an object stays in motion and would the action. And when you're, when the object moves, that's actually all that like freaky Einstein shit. (laughs) Yeah. So that think about that stuff when we're thinking about calories. So during the 1960s, scientists started to investigate the chemical composition of foods. They started to like apply these like principles about basic energy over to what we're eating and how that relates to the human body. So in the 1910s and 1920s, these scientists started to identify the host of vitamins and minerals that were essential for survival. So they did a lot of studies on like different human humans that they had access to at the time. Once again, anytime we talk about labs, it's probably done on white middle-aged men. It's not going to be including any other varieties of people. Um, They were very interested in like measuring the energy of food. So this would be the heat value of foods. Um, and at first this is going to be livestock, you know, focusing on like what animals needed in order to survive through like a crop season, but then they focused on humans. And so they had this knowledge about the heat value of foods, but it was very incomplete without the answers about how the human body expended energy. And I think energy expenditure is something that you probably have heard of in calorie discourse. And so it was founded at this time. Um, Atwater started to do a lot of studies on people in like Massachusetts, Connecticut. He wanted to know how many calories and nutrients and specifically like the grams of nutrients were required for these bricklayers to perform their daily work. So he was kind of doing this to help out these, you know, the um, bosses of these bricklayers who wanted to see like, how much do my workers need to eat in order to get the job done? So it was very kind of robotic, I would say, like thinking about food as just like sustenance and not thinking about like, oh, I'm eating a meal because it tastes good or for aesthetics or because I want to try an avocado toast. Like this was purely about like how many calories in will produce this much energy. 
So he wanted to know, um, yeah, this information for the managers, as I said, but food was very disconnected from pleasure and social context. It was simply substances used for the human body to build and repair tissue, fuel in its daily tasks. Um, and also Atwater was kind of a orthorexic freak and just like a freak in general, as you can imagine, because it was so science focused that he, rec- he regarded that excess, excess cal- caloric intake, sorry, my speaking here, um, and spending too much on food were to be equivalent of crime. So he thought that it was like gloating, like overconsumption, if you were eating too many calories and spending too much of your income on food. Um, He said that it was especially bad for like poor people to like have too much, spend all their money on food and get into a, like a certain level of um, excess caloric intake. So he's a freak. Um, He created this calorie manifesto. However, when you think back to the 1800s, like the average person's literary or like level of like having access to read everything was pretty low. So his book, The Century was a very highbrow publication and it wasn't read by the masses. It was just like the upper aristocrats who had access to books probably read his calorie manifesto. And so calories were only really discussed in literature in things like physiology books and agriculture and home economics books. Like it wasn't just in the newspaper what for every man to read. Um, so it was interesting because like some ordinary Americans, you know, they might've heard of the calorie typically starting in World War I, which I'm gonna talk a little bit about now. Um, but many people were very uncertain of what the word calorie even meant in like the 1800s and early 1900s. They did a poll or like they were asking random people on the street for some article, like, what do you think a calorie is? And a lot of people thought it was a new cereal brand. So there was no knowledge of calorie counting or anything like that back in these time period. Um, now bringing, entering the world war period. So by the end of world war one, if you think about food rationing, Food administration had turned calorie into a very familiar word. Um, it's I really like looking at the old war posters. They're really cool. I have a lot saved onto my Pinterest, actually. Um, it's all about food rationing and like don't waste food, like soldiers need food. And it's a lot about the victory gardens and like promoting women to have gardens and compost and all of this stuff. It's really cool from an environmental perspective. But that being said, the organization was known to like publish a lot of pamphlets and posters. And as I said before, it was encouraging Americans to ration foods that were shipped off to allied countries. So this would be things like meat and wheat and sugar because we needed that for the war efforts. And there's this poster in 1918 that was like a very like average typical poster. And it said, food will win the war, waste nothing. And so the Food Administration instructed Americans that they could ration food and still obtain calories. So at this point, the FDA or the Food Administration at the time was the name of it. Um, They started to tell people that you know, respective for your age and activity, you should try to ration food and be in this idea that, you know, food is a scarce resource, but you'll still be fine from a calorie perspective. Um, So this is when Americans started to hear like, oh, what are calories? And I should care about calories now. So this also translated over to restaurants. So in New York City, for example, a lot of restaurants that were very patriotic at the time, they even featured calorie counts on their menu next to the entree descriptions and the prices. Calories also became a means for the agency to tell people to find substitutes. So the FDA, or the Food Administration, sorry, they had a pamphlet. They told Americans to reduce their caloric intake by 200 calories or to replace the calories in beef with an additional serving of beans instead. As you guys know, like a serving of meat is going to be more calorically dense than beans. 
but it was just interesting like yeah in the early 1900s the government was mandating this for people because of the war efforts and so after the war ended the word calorie continued to infiltrate everyday life so rather than counting calories to conserve food for the war and demonstrate your patriotism in some way some americans then turned to calorie counting to conform to a new bodily ideal um, that was rising at the time which we'll get into a little bit later i think we've talked about this in the exercise episode a little bit we did about how like bodily aesthetics have shifted over time this is something i studied at nyu as well when i was focusing on fashion and politics i took this one class about um how body image standards change when you think about kings kings and queens in order to demonstrate your wealth they were very um like had you wanted to demonstrate that you were larger in size because it proved that like I have the money to pay for food and then with like the introduction of gymnastics from that German physiologist guy in the 1848 I think people then started to demonstrate their wealth through the fact that they were slender so the body image ideals shifted and now we know like body image is very different in the 21st century but that kind of changed how people viewed the calorie going into the mid-1900s. So how does this relate to nutrition labels? So we're only focusing on the US context here. Now this is gonna be very different in different countries and like what the government kind of sanctions and imposes as nutrition labels. But I'm guessing people would have this presumption but nutrition information was not always required on packaged food. So this started in the 19 or 1990. So this brings us up way, way over to the future. Um, in November of 1990, so the Nutrition Labeling Act and Education Act was signed into law, and the overarching goals of this were to be providing information to help consumers to make better choices, and then also encouraging the food companies to produce healthier food. So it was a consumer finance bill or a consumer protection bill to like make sure that consumers have information and they can advocate for themselves, but it was also a little bit of like the transparency about the food industry, so it was combining those two overarching goals. Before 1990, the only thing that you had to put onto food labels was um, if a food was making a nutrition claim or something about fortified vitamins, like how almond milk says like this is fortified with vitamin D or something like that. um, that, Those are the only things that nutrition or food companies had to put on a nutrition label. So in May of 1994, after Congress like, you know, like worked out the details on this, this was when the creation of the black and white label we all know and hate today was added to food packaging. Um, so it's really interesting that this discussion of calories was like kind of known about in the highbrow communities very early, but before it trickled down to impacting everyone wasn't until a very recent history and like diet culture kind of started before the 1990s. And so it's just very interesting to think about like, how were people dieting before calorie nutrition labels were required on foods? Like were people just like, oh, I'm just going to only eat one potato instead of two today. Like how did people have these guiding principles without calories because I feel like that's so much of the discourse about like food and like diet culture now um so to get technical into the some of the things that you might be like Kate I'm really confused about what is a daily value what's a serving size and I'm with you I get confused every time I look at nutrition labels and like what is what even makes sense here so what is a serving size um in my head they always seem very subjective so A serving size is going to be something displayed on the food labels. These are going to be required by law, as I said. And this is based on the amount of food or beverage that people typically consume during one eating or drinking occasion. So if you're sitting down to have a soda and it says one serving size is the full can, it assumes that's what you're going to be drinking in the period. You look at peanut butter and it says two tablespoons. That's what it assumes that you're going to be eating whenever you have this dish with the peanut butter. 
Um, however, the package size is not going to be always is the same as the serving size, which is intuitive when it says like peanut butter, two tablespoons, there's 14 servings in this, but it gets kind of weird when I've noticed this on drinks sometimes where it's like serving size is eight ounces, but this can is 12. And I'm like, okay, so why do we have just four extra ounces of liquid here? This is like really uncomfortable for me. Um, so the serving size is also not going to be, so it's not going to be the same as the package size, right? Overall, but it's also not going to be same as the portion size and the portion size of what we choose to eat or like what we diet wise, health wise should be eating. So what is the daily value then? So daily value is going to be something, it's like that percentage and you see, and it's the percent daily value of how much you need for a nutrient, how much of your daily need for a nutrient is contained in one serving. So let's say you are looking at dark chocolate and you see that it has magnesium. You can see how many grams of magnesium, and then you'll see a little percentage of how much it relates to your daily value of magnesium in the, in the food. I would say this is this easy trick that I came across when looking at daily values. Um, it's called the 520 rule. So when you're looking at that chocolate bar and you're looking at the one serving on the, the black and white label, you're looking at magnesium, a food is considered to be low in a nutrient if its daily value per serving is 5% or less. So let's say you're looking at an adaptogenic beverage and it has, what's a, what's a nutrient? Let's say it has a B12. Like let's say it's a weird drink. Let's take my weird B12 example and it only has 1% B12 in it, that's probably not going to be sufficient enough to, you know, even like impact your daily value, right? But if a food is, has, you know, 20% of more, so let's say this beverage has 80% of your B12, a food is considered to be very high in something. So that's like a crazy high B12 drink. So if you're someone that wants to kind of look into the daily value, that could be an interesting indicator. Um, now, when you're coming looking at nutrition labels, as I said before, they weren't always required, but what is required for a company to put on a nutrition label? Because food is different than supplements where supplements don't really have to pass any regulations, but food does. So there's going to be four vitamins and minerals that are required to be listed on every nutrition facts label. And these four are going to be vitamin D, calcium, iron, and potassium. So vitamin D and potassium are actually new to the list. It used to be vitamins A and C, but the swap was made because people figured that Americans, not people, scientists figured out that Americans are actually getting enough vitamin A and D and A and C in their diet, but they were falling short often on potassium and vitamin D. So that's why the swap was made. And so when you're looking at any food, it has to state how much of your daily value is being met through those guys. And I would say, this is just some facts that I feel like Emma and I've talked about off the pod that I don't know if people know, or these are just some quirky facts that I learned about nutrition labels is that ingredients are ordered when you're looking at the ingredient list of, let's say your Mary's crackers, they are ordered from the most quantity of the item to the least. So I have thought about this whenever I see a health food product that let's say is like $20 for a very small amount of an item. There's this one ghee that has ashwagandha in it, or, you know, if you'll see a reishi spike nut butter, something of that vein. When you're looking at these foods and if ashwagandha is the last ingredient of this ghee, let's say you're looking at a nut butter and it is almonds, um, let's say it's olive oil or something, let's say it's cinnamon, let's say it's sea salt, and the last thing is reishi, you are getting fucked there. There's probably zero reishi in that product. And since reishi is an adaptogen, it's a supplement, they don't have to list like a daily value of reishi because it's not like calcium, it's not like vitamin D, right? So that's where I think consumers get fucked a lot when you're not looking at how you're not able to really clearly see. I mean, this is a win for the food industry, right? They can, people that make foods that have all the fun little spiked stuff, like do cookie dough had spiked adaptogenic cookie dough. 
people buy it and think I'm getting a health benefit from this, but realize that no, this is probably just sugar and oats. There's not that much, many adaptogens in this item. Um, and then the next one is going to be paying attention to sugar. So for the last point, oftentimes companies know that people are very wary of sugar counts and if sugar is the first ingredient. So oftentimes what they do, this is found a lot of times in granola bars, that they will split up the sugar or oil into multiple types to avoid it appearing first in the label. So when you're looking at a granola bar and it says, you know, let's say oats, dates, pro pea protein isolate, cocoa powder, and then it says brown rice syrup, cane sugar, date syrup, stevia, et cetera, all listed in a row. The sugar is technically, if you were to like break it down visually, the sugar is going to be the highest component of this granola bar you're eating. But since it's broken down in so many ways, it's not going to be ordered first in this list, if that makes sense. So this is why you should be paying attention to grams of sugar, which is something I've recently started to do now that I'm like deathly afraid that I have like insulin resistance. Um, so that's another note about how companies can do this. They'll often do this with oils as well. Yeah. And it's like really crazy. If you actually like Google search, like all the different names for sugar, I think there's like over 70 to 220 different names, which again, like you said, makes it like really like fuzzy and like, you know, difficult for the consumer to like understand. And, you know, you would think with nutrition labels, right. That like, this is mandated by the government. Like this is all like science backed. Like this should be like foolproof. Like this should be like completely accurate, but unfortunately not, which like also, you know, makes sense because there are like so many, I mean, granted, if you buy a potato, it doesn't like have a nutrition label, like connected to it. Right. But like, there's so many, you know, one potato could be like 30 grams. One could be like 120 and those are going to vary in like calories. And so that kind of gets into like how there's this like 20% error that is allowed when it comes to nutrition labels that companies can get away with without kind of getting like deemed as like being deceptive with what they're trying to sell to the consumer. And so, like I said, this 20% margin of error um, is allowed on nutrition labels, but this doesn't just go for calories. It can go for other nutrients as well. So if a label says hundred calories for like, maybe you're getting a granola bar, it's hundred calories. Theoretically, that granola bar could actually have upwards to like 120 calories. And that would like still be okay. And the company could get away with like still selling that product to you. And like I said, with like, you know, for nutrition, this can be even like more damaging because like, let's say you're a woman who's like iron deficient and you like are really seeking out like iron rich like foods and maybe there's a product that like claims to be iron rich and it has like five or six percent of like the daily value you know mentioned on the nutrition label it could like theoretically like actually contain like maybe one percent and they would still be able to get away with that and so that's why it's like really challenging I think when you are going into the grocery store and you want to have like full autonomy over like what you're consuming and like knowing what you're eating that like there is going to be so much like fuzzy grace area when it comes to all of us, because there is just not that much insight. And, you know, why is this error allowed? It's mainly because it's expected by the manufacturer to like self-enforce himself. And there's really no systematic auditing process in place. And to allow that, that would be like such a huge lift and like demand and with so much like lobbying that does occur in the food industry, this is like likely never going to occur. And so, you know, really the best rule of thumb is just going to be like, eating fewer things that don't come with like a nutrition label, which obviously that comes with a lot of like privilege. But if you're like someone who's very much like, you know, I need to know everything. Like, I think that can get into like a very orthorexic mindset. And I think you just like need to let yourself just like live and realize that like you can't have full control. Um, but yeah, so the, this kind of then gets down to like, okay, Kate mentioned about like calories, explain how they came about, but then like how like this breaks down into like the different types of food that we have. So like Kate said, calories were coined by the chemist Wilbur Olin at water and calories are really 
originally, you know, known and utilized as like measuring the amount of energy required to heat one kilogram of water by one degree of Celsius. And so breaking down into like the different components or like macronutrients when it comes to food, right? So fats are going to be most satiating and they're going to be having nine calories per gram. Carbs and protein are going to have four and then fiber is going to have two calories per gram. And so every food label is based off of these estimates that were, you know, created years ago, right? It's a pretty like antiquated process, but it's not as like simple as we may think of like, you know, just adding up, like, you know, there's 90 grams of carbs or whatever, like that's how many calories something's going to have. And there's so many more factors that do contribute to how many calories really like a single individual person will get from a food because the digestive system is such a complex process. And also like the gut microbiome plays such a huge role in this area and this field is starting to get a lot more attention. I think this could, you know, change the way we think about like calories and like calorie counting. Right. But so if you think about it, you know, when we eat plants, right, we're eating like the stems, leaves, and roots. This is just like an example. And so some parts of the plant, let's say like broccoli, they're going to have a sturdier cell wall than others. And based off like a lot of research that scientists have done, they have found that like the weaker the cell wall, the more calories that we will obtain from it, because when the cell wall is like super intact and strong, it will hoard the calories and it'll mostly like pass through the body intact. So like, think about like corn. So like, if you're eating corn, you might be thinking like, oh, this is like 120 calories. Like I'm consuming like 120 calories of corn. That may not actually be the case. Whereas like, you know, if you are consuming broccoli, for example, you might actually be absorbing and actually utilizing the calories that come from the broccoli more effectively versus the corn. And the study has also been shown on like nuts and seeds that they are less completely digested versus like other foods that have a similar like protein, carbon, fat content and breakdown. There was a study done by the U.S. State of Agriculture that found that people who ate almonds actually only received 130 calories versus the 170 that were reported on the label. And so there's been a lot of like kind of push essentially on changing the way that we, you know, measure, um, calories and maybe trying to improve the accuracy of labels. But the thing is, is that in order to do this, like scientists would have to examine each food the same way that they did on this, like nut study, which is super expensive. And is like a huge lift. Granted, this has gotten pushed by like people who do work in like the almond and nut industry, because like, obviously this would like benefit them. Right. Like I know, I think I was reading that like kind bar had actually changed their nutrition labels to, you know, reflect uh, this like whatever, um, you know, news and like research done on like, you know, the difference between like how much nuts actually contain, um, because they obviously want people to like purchase their product more if people know that it, it contains less calories than like what originally was believed. And also like, you know, our gut is going to play a huge role into how many calories we're fully like absorbing and a more diverse gut will be more equipped at like breaking down food and like plant starches versus like, and the fiber to shorter molecules that the body can effectively use for energy versus maybe someone who has a weaker gut microbiome. And so that's why there's so much like emphasis on like improving your gut microbiome and like really eating a really diverse diet so that your body is able to effectively use the food that you're using for energy. And this kind of gets then into like, okay, so nutrition labels were created. How did this all get into like, you know, like calorie counting. And this all actually occurs before like whatever, sorry, the nutrition labels were like created, but this was really popularized by Lulu Hunt Peters. She was like a physician back in the day and she, you know, was struggling with her weight. And the only success that she had was from losing 70 pounds was through like caloric restriction. And so she really promoted this like type of diet 
through like diet guides and her book, which she was most known for called diet and health, which was published in 1918. And it like sold over like 2 million copies while it was like in rotation. And it's actually considered like the first best-selling diet book. And it really became popular because it was really the first way where it was like almost like a foolproof way to like lose weight. And it essentially kind of turned into like becoming like a pastime activity for women. And if you think about it, like, you know, this gave people some sense of like control, knowing that like, I am purposely like restricting my calories. Like I know that I'm going to like lose weight. And I think this is like the mentality that has been carried on to like the 21st century of like how people approach, like, you know, calorie restriction. I think a lot of people, you know, when they are feeling like lost or don't have any sense of control, they do move to food. Cause like, that's the one area where you can't have full control. Right. And so this is sort of when like calories no longer like referenced as like a term to like denote like heat value. It doesn't have that like very like chemistry, scientific, um, connotation or like, you know, thought behind it first, you know, now it's considered something as Kate mentioned, as like a body shaping tool. And I think we're going to do an episode on, you know, my fitness pal and like weight watchers and how that all came about. Because like I said, like all of the stuff that like Lulu hunt Peters, like popularized in the sense of like caloric restriction again, was all before nutrition labels were like created. So it's like very interesting a how just like that has, um, transformed and manifested itself into like different ways as like technology has like improved into the the 21st century. Yeah. And bouncing off that, as I said earlier, like thinness and how that relates to calories and dieting is like what has become, you know, prevalent in the 20th century. So that's why I think there could be a whole episode about like diet culture now. Um, but yeah, before Americans were like associating this plumpness with beauty and wealth, wealth and thinness implied that you were ill or you were poor because you couldn't afford food. So that's just like a really, you know, such like a sad thing about like socioeconomic ties to body image and how much of that is still very prevalent today. So what about daily caloric requirements? This is the rabbit hole that I think probably gave me an eating disorder and was really hard for me to recover ever. And Emma and I have talked about this recently in the context of like knowing how much you are supposed to eat. Like it, it we talk about this all the time. Like should I eat a thousand calories more? Oh, should I do this? Like I I Googled something and I got a a range of, I should eat a thousand calories to, I should eat 3000 calories. So the the amount of calories that you should be eating is something that we're not going to give you advice on. And also I'm just at the point where I think my hot take is, is it even relevant? I know it is relevant from a health perspective, but I don't actually know how you could figure it out unless you had access to getting some sort of like thermodynamic blood work or some shit like that. Like how, how will I actually ever know what to eat and how much to eat? The dietary guidelines will give calorie recommendations. If you Google it, like you can get that chart where it says like women are likely to eat or likely to need between 1600 and 2,400 calories a day and men are 2000 to 3000. But it of course has the disclaimer, like this is going to depend on age and size and height and lifestyle and activity level. So then you as an individual are like, am I sedentary or am I lightly active? Am I lightly active or am I moderately active? Like it's, it's such a fucking mental gymnastics about something that I hate that is so ingrained for us to think about. I just try to be like, you know, smooth brain about it. And like my ancestors didn't know how many calories were. They just ate when they were hungry and stopped when they're full. But it's like intuitive eating is so difficult for me to wrap my head around and even practice in an honest fashion, which I'm sure a lot of people who've had eating disorders can relate to. Um, If you want to know, I mean, there are three bodily processes that do burn calories. The first thing is going to be your metabolism. So this is like, this is your body using the most calories you get from food to sustain basic functions like your heartbeat, your period. If you have female hormones, those things. Digestion is going to be the next thing. 
So around 10 to 15% of the calories you eat is used to power your digestion, which seems really odd because you're like, I'm eating my calories, but that is powering my, you know, my digestion too. It's very odd. This is called the thermic effect of food. It varies once again, based on the foods you're eating. So that's why it's like not calories, calories are not equal, which some people might disagree with me on that. Um, physical activity is going to be the net last thing. So this is like your leftover calories are meant to fuel your, you know, your physical activity workouts, everyday tasks, like walking. That's why the activity level is factored into your daily caloric requirements. If you go online now, enter the modern phrase of, we're not going to get too much into it. So probably gonna do another episode about this, but you've probably heard the phrase calories in calories out calories in refers to the calories you get from food calories out is referring to the number of calories you burn. A calorie deficit from a biological perspective is that you need to eat fewer calories than you burn to lose weight. And I think when this phrase was first sprouted, it made so much sense to people. Like Emma was saying earlier, like, okay, this is something I can control. I can see on paper that if I do this one thing, it's going to lead directly to this outcome. Perfect. Just cut calories. That's it. But a lot of people, you know, a lot of people say that if you cut 3,500 or if you have 3,500 calories less, um, you'll lose a pound. Like that's biologically how this would happen. But we know that there are so many factors now and we're still having new data about what actually affects weight loss, right? You know, if you consume less than 1,200 calories per day, you're probably not going to meet your vitamin and mineral needs via food because it's going to be so stripped down from getting adequate amounts. Like I was talking about earlier with daily value. Okay, let's say you eat, you know, a daily, a serving of chocolate, that's only tiny amount of magnesium that you need in your daily day or your daily, uh, you know, day of eating. Um, Low calorie diets often slow down your metabolism. If you have had an eating disorder, you know this, your body goes to starvation mode, your body clings on to fat, you lose muscle, and you're essentially getting the outcome that you were trying to avoid by cutting your calories so much. So when you hear that, I think this is where I have been you know, with my eating disorder and through recovery where I don't know how much to eat. I'm like, okay, so should I eat 3000 calories? Should I eat 2000? Like all these calculators online will give you different numbers. And it's just so frustrating. Like this is something I genuinely hate so much and how much of it I feel like consumes my brain space, whether or not I'm consciously thinking about it. Right. Like we made the meme, like every girl, you know, you can't really unlearn calorie counting to a degree. Like I, you can, but you still kind of know like how many calories are in a potato, how many calories are in nut butter. Like even if you're not exactly measuring it out, which I don't do, you still have some sort of a reference. And I just think that there's now like a moral compass associated with like, oh, I wanted a a second serving or I'm still hungry. Do I go back for servings? But I know I already had three tablespoons of peanut butter. It just, I hate that whole shit. And I I think to bounce off that too, like these are like conversations that I still unfortunately have in my head. And I think it's very common for a lot of people, whether you're like have fully recovered or not. And I think also, you know, there's just been this whole talk too. And I know people have talked about this, like in Geneva too, like this whole idea of like reverse dieting, right? Like, oh, if you feel like you have not gotten the results that you need in the gym, it's because you have slowed down your metabolism. And in order to do that, if you want to like actually get super like toned and like ripped, what you should do is like slowly increase your calories, but you have to do it in a very like scientific way where it's only like 50 to hundred, you know, A a week. And then you'll like boost your metabolism and then like lose all this weight. So granted, yeah, you're increasing your caloric intake, but it's still in the sense of to achieve these bodily standards that were expected or that we think we need. Right. And so I think it's like, you know, maybe they have, that is like a beneficial way or encourages people to eat more, but are you just doing it because you're hoping to be like more thin than what you currently are? And I think I'm at the point where it's like, you know, I have like questioned everything about like my body and everything. And like what I 
eat for like so long that I'm like, okay, Emma, you, I know that you're like never going to be able to tackle this issue because again, it's like so like fluffy and then like up in like the clouds of like what is even like actually true. And like there's, you know, everything is like so infallible. Yeah. Um, and that's but- we were talking about this yesterday that I think this is like probably really raw. And some of you guys might be like, oh my God, Kate and Emma still struggle. But like, honestly, this is what we were saying on our walk home for finales yesterday. I was like, you know, I try to increase my calories and trust my body. Then I look in the mirror and I think that I've gained weight and not saying gaining weight is bad or something, but just saying that like unexpected, I gained weight, but my body image is so distorted at this point that I don't even know what I look like. And I feel like my only signifier of what I look like is if like pants fit and Emma and I are both like our jeans are both tight. I don't like this because one, I don't want to go buy new jeans. And two, I know that I used to fit in these jeans. So I was doing, you know, let's say I was trying to eat more or like honor my hunger cues or do any of that behavior for two weeks. Now that I see my jeans don't fit up, oh, can't do that anymore because I've gotten a negative result from it associated with my body. And I don't think I've ever made it in five years of being recovered to like follow that diet because I always get negative body symbols from it. Does that, or body outcomes from it, mm-hmm. which fucking sucks because I'm like, maybe my metabolism is so slow at this point because I go up and a down and up and a down and not like in intense ways where I'm tracking calories. It's just more intuitively where I'm like, okay, like maybe let's stay away from this food or you should do this versus this. And I also want to mention too, that like when my brother was in town, you know, he's like super into like health and fitness, like has been a student athlete all of his entire life. And him and I have a lot of conversation or had a lot of conversations about like, you know, diet, calories, et cetera, eating. And I think it's just like, goes to show that it's such a slippery slope for like both genders. And I think women do get, um, hounded a lot for like their obsession with like calories and everything, but like guys can also have issues too. And I think like normalizing that, like dudes can have like eating disorders and that like dudes can also have really fucked up ways of like thinking, but unfortunately just like how society is structured, you know, it doesn't seem as like negative or as dangerous for men. Um, but I think, yeah, it just like goes to show that like, even like super healthy people who, you know, again, and that ties to like all like social media, like someone who like is maybe like your health, like fitness influencer, they could be having these same exact thoughts. And so I think it just like, again, goes to show that like, no one's perfect. Everyone has like struggles and issues and you don't really actually know the truth because again, this is the, these are like all the conversations and dialogue that occur just in your own personal brain. Right. Um, the only thing that I would say that has really helped me like get over this whenever I do slip into these like modes of overthinking is one, if I'm ever overthinking food, it's probably because I, it's a Saturday, I don't have any work to do and I'm just have ample time to think about something, right? Like talk to a friend, call your mom, like get your mind off of food and think about how small of a thing it is. Like I said to Emma yesterday, like I don't spend this much amount of time thinking about like what my fingernails look like every fucking day. And it sucks that it's like, I have had to work so hard to change that about my relationship to how I look. You know, but it's like some things take up so much brain space for you. And I was talking to my friend Ricky about this. I'm just like, I can't imagine. And it's sad. It's really sad to admit this. It's like, I can't imagine what it's like if you don't have any like disordered relationship with body image and food. Like, what is your mind thinking about all the day? You know, like when you're, you're just eating to eat and then you just move on and you're not thinking about like how your clothes fit you and like, you know, how you feel after your workout, how well you worked out. Like it just, it's so frustrating that I know this is a dumb thing to be fixated on. And like, 
eating disorders at large can be a very privileged thing to like abstain from eating or like any sort of restrictive behaviors. Um, but the one thing that has, that has helped me that I'd say, um, what you eat matters a lot more than the calories. And this might be like hippie bunk shit. You might say, no, Kate, if you look at science, calories in, calories out is the only way you're going to feel good in your body. Okay. If you want to believe that and die on that hill and you want to just like track your macros for the rest of your life, feel free to do it. But for an example, like a diet too rich added in fructose, which is going to be a form of sugar, is often linked to insulin resistance. I went on a WebMD rabbit hole and I was talking to my doctor about this because now that I'm like, I have insulin resistance, I barely touch sugar. You know, how the fuck do I have it? Um, you can have this issue if your diet, you know, has um, a diet too rich in fructose, as I was saying before, sorry. But that being said, that if you're eating fruit, fruit in its whole form, that's going to contain natural fructose, but it's also going to have water and fiber. This does not have the same effect of eating a candy bar on your body. So even if the candy bar and watermelon have the same amount of calories, it's not going to react the same in your body. So the types of food are also going to affect how full you feel. Like you're not going to feel fullness if you are eating just a tiny source of chocolate and expecting it to be your meal. But if you ate something like was different, it would probably satiate a little bit more. Um, and nutrient density. This is the only other thing that has gotten me out of like restriction, viewing food as just calories, good, bad, binary thinking, is that I almost think like I want to get every nutrient in my day. Like I want to eat carrots because it has this. I want to eat my macro because it has this, my olive oil because it has this. If you start to view food as nutrition, it changes a lot. And I think it is hard to feel grounded in it because it's like on my lunch break, I'm not like, yes, I'm eating this macro, my omega-3s right now are like, great. But when you are in the process of questioning if you should eat this or eat this, just thinking about what you're going to be getting from the food can be something that can help you. Like fruits are going to be a lot more nutrient dense than donuts. Not saying don't ever eat donuts. Like I literally ate chicken tenders <laughs> at 10 PM with a diet Coke. Like it doesn't matter really what you're eating, but I'm just saying like fruit is going to be something that's going to have a larger dose of vitamins, minerals, and plant compounds. So that can be a mind shift thing of like how you view your food and like treating that as like, this is a good thing for me. So I'm like honoring that I want to eat this and put this in my body. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, those are like similar things that I feel like have helped me. And also just like, for me also, it's like for someone who enjoys like going on walks and like, you know, living just like an active lifestyle, right? Like that's how like my, I feel calm is when I am like, you know, being like physically active. Like I know that like, in order to like do that, I need to also like honor and fuel my like body so that it is able to, you know, go about and, you know, tackle really difficult, you know, projects that come my way towards like work. Like I want my brain to be like functioning, like at the most like optimal degree. Right. And I think also, you know, like whenever, you know, I was in Florida with my grandparents and everything and just like seeing like how much they're just like, they don't give a fuck about anything. Like they're old. They just want to like live life to the fullest, you know, cause they know that like their time here is like, you know, getting shorter, which is obviously like dark. And I think like, just, you know, to remember that like, there's so much more. And I think just like cultivating like friendships and like memories is like so important and you know the happiest moments that you've ever had have had have probably been with friends and family and like you probably weren't thinking about like the calories and they probably weren't thinking about like what you looked like either so I think also just like remembering that a lot of this is just like silliness and like you will like live and I think like you know when you do have like those more like happy precious moments that like makes you not turn to like the darker evils of the world of nutrition sometimes. Yeah. And I think with food as well, like if we're going to be honest here, Emma, do you remember what you ate for dinner yesterday? 
literally no. <laughs> no. While you were cooking it though, you probably were debating how much of this, to how much of this to add. Like I have that discourse as I'm cooking all my meals and just eating throughout the day, but I like forget. So it's just so silly and goofy that like, well, I am in these intense moments of cooking and deciding like what my body's going to eat. And I don't even remember it. Like, what the fuck? You know, when I've heard this, when I was in eating disorder therapy, really, you know, I was 17, like how this relates to different um, addictions and disorders and stuff like eating disorder stuff. And, you know, the, it was funny because my doctor started talking. She's like, I know you're not an alcoholic and you're not a drug addict, but like, you know, your advice, if you've never had an issue is just very binary. Like if I was, if there was someone that was an alcoholic, I would just be like, stop buying beer like literally stop spending your money on beer. What the fuck? Like, why would you keep buying beer? You are, that's the thing. It's an addiction. And I think eating disorders have that same uh, tendency and, you know, brain chemistry that it's like this addiction to feeling like you have control over something. And so it is really hard to undo. And that's why I feel like we say like, you should get help. Like you will not be able to beat your eating disorder at, like on your own. And if you have good for you, but I just think it's, it's like a, it's a sick little addiction to like feel like this is your one little thing you have control over. Um, so yeah, just wanted to place that there because I think sometimes family is like, just eat, don't worry about it. And it's like, if you've never had the problem, you don't get it. So just yeah. to validate that, like Emma and I still have these lingering thoughts. It's very common. It's very normal. Um, but yeah, we hope you, hope you work through it. Yes, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's definitely like a good, heavy bulk of information. You get your history, you get your whatever bullshit from us at the beginning. Um, you know, you know the drill. Like, comment. I was going to say subscribe, but we don't have any subscription, unfortunately. But if you're in Geneva, keep on doing your thing in Geneva. Join Geneva, Geneva, if you want to. Um, like we said in the last episode, there's some. Um, events in the works that we will probably slowly be announcing here and there i think kate is working through on some giveaways so more fun stuff to come so make sure you are tuned in to all things cmos girlies more fun stuff yeah we're gonna have a picnic in april with the buddies at Supergoop. i know that for sure and then we're gonna work on some other stuff um i just posted on the meme page like the weird wellness confessional i've not seen any of the things yet so we will see what the freaky you know, people put in there. Um, I mean, I really think about like how comfortable you guys are with the me page. People DM us very weird shit and like not, I'm not going to like screenshot it and like put you on blast, but it's just a little bit, it's a little bit interesting that you guys would trust uh, like a decently anonymous meme page with all your deepest, darkest secrets, but go off queens. So we'll be posting that later. And um, I feel like that's all the updates. I ran into a few CMOS girlies this weekend. They're like very cute. Um, love y'all. Uh, but yeah, like, comment, share the podcast, tell a friend to listen to it, and we hope you all have a good rest of your week. Bye, CMOS girlies. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.